Episode 101, everybody, with Nancy Schmidt. My aunt, Aunt Nancy, diagnosed with breast cancer in September 2009. And here she is 10 years later. We just celebrated the 10-year anniversary of her being diagnosed and having surgery in October 2009. And uh, here she is a decade later, alive and well, strong and healthy, and uh, such an inspiration. I cannot thank her enough for sharing her story and insight and providing a lot, a plethora, a plethora of information and insight and tips into this devastating disease and ways to fight it and ways to attack it and uh, just get through it and um, was just blown away by her story and by her, her tenacity and her will. So fantastic episode, episode 101 with Nancy Schmidt. Check it out here coming up. But before you do, if you have not yet, please click subscribe and join the Optimal Life family. And we are growing. We have passed the 100 episode mark. This is episode 101. Uh, continue to share the episodes, everybody. Subscribe. And uh, definitely, if you know somebody that's touched with breast cancer or anyone that's in this world that's that's been rocked with this disease, please share this episode. It's a fantastic uh, resource for that person. And uh, with that said, as always, please sit back, relax, and welcome the one and only Nancy Schmidt. The Optimal Life. All right, and we are official, Aunt Nancy. Welcome to The Optimal Life. How are you? I'm wonderful. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. I am doing great. And uh, this is actually, this is the third member of the Schmidt family to grace us with their presence on this podcast. Wow. We've had lucky. We've had Max come on for LGBT Pride Month. We've had uh, Annie come on for sharing her story of, of lawyerhood and, and motherhood and all those things. And now we have the third time is a charm, I would say, with you. <laughs> you took the words right out of my mouth. <laughs> third time is the so, charm. So I've got big shoes to fill, Nathan. You do. They were both fantastic episodes and uh, oh, very, very insightful. Okay. Um, so, but I, I wanted to bring you on. You and I had have talked, obviously. Well, we always talk throughout the year, but we were talking via text in the month of October because October, as everyone knows, is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Right. And uh, we were texting back and forth, and we were trying to lock down a time for you to come on because your story is absolutely remarkable and and, and very uh, inspirational. And we couldn't lock it in in October, but as you and I talked about, just because October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, we should we should be aware of this this horrific disease 365 days a year. That's correct. That's correct. And a lot of times, a lot of women feel that once October is over, it's kind of forgotten. It's like, okay, breast cancer awareness is finished. The football players stop wearing pink, and they move on. And I think it's something that we have to talk about all the time not just October. Yes, absolutely. So, yeah. So, uh, obviously, uh, you, you've been exposed to medicine for decades, uh, assisting Uncle Dick, uh, your husband, my uncle, um, in orthopedic oncology. You've been exposed to some of the most horrific forms of cancer. You've seen it. You've seen people's lives ripped apart. But take us back to September of 2009, when I'm sure no matter how much you had been exposed to in your previous life, you couldn't prepare yourself for what you were about to find out. That's right. Uh, first of all, I've been a nurse for almost 35 years. And so 10 years ago, obviously, it was almost 25 years. And, you know, I thought I was really good at what I did. I was I was obviously running, you know, Uncle Dick's practice, uh, Dr. Richard Schmidt. And uh, we were treating metastatic bone cancer patients. You know, you can get bone cancer from your prostate, your breast, any of your organs uh, can spread to the bones, and they call that stage four. And so I've been treating patients with stage four metastatic cancer for 25 years at the time, and thought I was an excellent nurse, and I was able to relate to the patients. <clears throat> and then all of a sudden, September of 09 rocked my world. Uh, all of a sudden, I became the cancer patient. So, uh, but, you know, but, but what, what, what happened, what happened? Like you had, you had, you had implants, correct? I did. I did. And I really feel that those implants saved my life okay. because the lesion was actually in front of the breast implant. So, but it was far enough back 
that if the implant had not been there, it would have been very close to my chest wall. And that would have been uh, a really tough situation because it would have been quite deep and maybe I never would have known it was there. Mm-hmm. So, but, you know, it was quite interesting, Nathan, because I did have the implants in and I felt something in front of my right breast. It felt almost like sandpaper. And that was not the cancer. <laughs> so when I went for, you know, I, I, I went to the radiologist, I you know, called my doctor and I said, listen, you got to test this. They did the ultrasound. Mm-hmm. Didn't see much, but it made me nervous. So then, of course, I went and uh, they did uh, an, uh, a mammogram. Something showed up on the mammogram, but it wasn't what I was feeling. Completely right. different. And that's when they said, get the MRI, and then all hell broke loose. So, you know, my point being is that if a woman feels something in her breast, she should never, ever, ever ignore it. Never. Well, because you had, implant, you had implants, so the easy thing for you was like, okay, something happened to one of the implants, right? I mean, that was probably of the course. first thought, yeah. Nathan, I can't begin to tell you, every woman that has had breast cancer has a different story. I mean, there's a a patient that, you know, says that she's had drainage from her nipple. They think it's a, they think it's an infection. So a doctor will give antibiotics. I'm telling you, every woman who has something that is not normal in their breast needs to have it checked out. Period. So, so you get the new, you go and you get the mammogram and then you get the MRI, the MRI, the MRI comes back that this is indeed cancer. You, what, what, what was that day? What happens? You get a phone call to take us through that and and the feelings and emotions at that point. Right. So I had it late at night, the MRI and, you know, probably thought, now I've had benign cysts over over my adult life so I thought well you know maybe this is another cyst type of scenario and the next morning I'm uh getting Max uh ready for school the other kids were out of the house already Grant was in his first year of college and the other kids were out uh, you know either pre-engaged or you know whatever and so it was just Max at home and I'm getting ready to take him to school and the radiologist calls who we are personal friends with because we're all in the business Right. And he calls me at 7.30, and I see, and I pick up the phone, and this is verbatim. I said, hello, and he said, hi, who are you with? No. Those were his words. Now, when he says, who are you with, do you know it's not good? Absolutely. Uh, Why would he have said that? He would have, He would. Have, if it was good news, he would have said, Nance, everything's fine. Those would have been the first words out of his mouth. But instead, he goes, hi, who, who are you with? Oh, I, I sat down on my bed. I said, I'm, what's going on? He goes, it's breast cancer. I said, how do you know? It wasn't even biopsied. He goes, Nancy, I've been doing this long enough. I know what the MRI looks like. This is breast cancer. Oh, jeez. Rocked my world. Rocked my world. Are you just and speechless? Everyone, you're speechless, right? I mean, Speechless. You're, yeah. Speechless. Hmm. Yep. So at that point, I'm like, okay, uh, I got to call my husband, you know, and I took Max to school. I got myself together and I'm like, okay, I can't have him around this all day. And I took Max to school and then I, you know, called Dick and Dick had five cases that day. One of them was a cancer case. The other four were not. They were more trauma cases. And of course, being the type of doctor he is, he had to get through the cancer case. He had to take care of that cancer patient. And he did. And the other cases were smaller little trauma cases that had come in probably through the emergency room. And he, uh, the other surgeon saw that, you know, Dick became pale when I called him and gave him the news. I was like, oh my God, what am I going to do? And he became pale and the surgeons were like, are you okay? Are you okay? And he goes, no, Nancy was just diagnosed with cancer. Oh. And they said, we will take these cases from you. So he introduced wow. the patients. He was like, listen, it's a screw removal or it's a, you know, minor, you know, non-cancer cases. And he said, if you want to wait for me, fine. But if you want to get done today, I am in no mind to do that. He was honest. Yeah, I, I yeah. know. And you know what? Every single patient said, Dr. Schmidt, you go take care of your wife. We're fine. The other surgeon is just great. Yeah. We're fine. Do what you got to do. So, so he did the cancer case and that was it. So, yeah. so that's late September. And then, so what do they tell you? What are your options then going over the next several weeks? What, what happens? Oh, well, you know what, Nathan? It's really complicated once you're diagnosed because, 
Uh, you have to first find out, you know, they take your history, you know, your, your, your complete medical history. And does your mom have cancer? Did your aunt have cancer? I really did not have a, you know, first degree relative that had it. So we're all scratching our head. And when they went through everything, they realized that my father's aunt, my father's, my great aunt died of breast cancer but that's on the paternal side nothing on my mom's side mm -hmm. so of course they do the whole family tree and they're like well it could have come from your father the wow. gene okay right so there's something called the brca gene the BRCA gene a lot of people have heard of it you know angelina jolie was positive for the BRCA gene <clears throat> so that brought it out into the spotlight so i had to go three weeks of testing because you know i'm an ashkenazi jew so you know these are familial um, with Ashkenazi Jews, and so I had to get tested for the BRCA gene. That takes a while to come back. Then they do the BRCA gene for the general population. Had to wait for that to come back because if you do carry the gene, then you may get you know a different you may get ovarian cancer. Um, so then they would go and do a hysterectomy, that kind of thing. Um, so you have to wait for these tests to come back before you really can make a decision. And you also have to wait for the, you know, pathology from the biopsy to come back before you make a decision. So the first thing I did was get a biopsy that day. The sure that enough, that day that you got the news. That's right. Okay. And I was lucky. I mean, I got to tell you, Nathan, I was very fortunate because I am in the healthcare business. And doing what I do for all these years, I know all the surgeons. I know all the doctors. Right. I'm involved with everybody. These are people I call on a daily basis for our patients. Mm -hmm. So these are our friends. So I was very fortunate enough to, uh, you know, uh, Dick was able to call after his surgery. He was able to call one of... Uh, surgeons and say hey listen nancy's got breast cancer and they're like bring her on over so i was very fortunate to be able to see in that day and i do acknowledge that most people don't have that luxury they well, may have to wait a week or two right you know to see to see a surgeon so uh so you're going in you're going for the biopsy now now what they say, this is a quote that I've heard many times in this regards, is that cancer is not necessarily a medical emergency. It's an emotional one, right? Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Talk about that. That's exactly how I feel. Oh, I feel it with all of our patients, and I use that all the time because you are so your adrenaline is going your your head is spinning you want it out you want it taken care of you're panicked i mean if someone tells you you have cancer and you're not panicked uh, you know you don't have a you're not thinking clearly yeah. you're not hearing the conversation so it is emotional emergency i mean i wanted that taken out i wanted it gone i wanted the treatment but like the doctor said to me it is not a medical emergency. We are going to take care of this over, you know, quickly. But there are certain things that we have to do before we get the cancer out. We have to line up all your ducks. Sure. So that's exactly right. Well, the cancer is not going to kill you, I mean, most likely in those couple weeks period. That is correct. So this is really a, a yeah, this is a self-help emotional kind of state that's emergency. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Mm -hmm. That's right. And, of course, when that happened to me... I ran out to the library and started getting all of these books. Oh these yeah, I'm sure. Books. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I was, I was, I was panicked. Well, that's the thing so about that's the thing about other women. Did. The, yeah, you know, the nice thing about the podcast platform is that now people can go and and turn on this podcast, for example. That's right. Maybe somebody that's listens right. to this and hears it, and they can listen and take some things from you. So, you so, so you get your biopsy, and then you have to make a decision between uh, mastectomy versus uh, lumpectomy, correct? That's right. Now, but of course, after the biopsy, I had to wait three weeks for all of these BRCA tests. No, that to has to be the longest three weeks of your life. The longest. Oh. Okay. And most women, they have to go through this. And especially if they have a, a, a mother who had breast cancer, a grandmother who died of breast cancer, you know, mm. then it's kind of like the likelihood of you carrying this BRCA gene is pretty, pretty positive. I mean, so are you like, are you, what's the feeling like? Is, is it like, do you, what are some of the thoughts? Do you think about your past, like, all the years prior that you've lived, do you think about your future? Is it mixed emotions, your kids, your husband? What what is what's going on in your mind Nathan, those few weeks? 
it's it's all of it mm-hmm. it's all of it and you know i felt really bad for max he's just starting high school and here i have to deal with this and i wasn't able to be with him those first few weeks right. so i felt guilty listen as you know from talking to max he's a great kid he was fine but it was me that felt sad that I, he's a you know freshman in high school and I have to go through all of this. I felt bad for Grant. He's a freshman in college, and you know I, I should be, you know, cheering him on and doing all. I got to deal with this at the beginning of his freshman year of college. Hmm. It, it, it's terrible. And my husband has to go to the OR. He has to take care of patients. I'm the rock for the family. I'm the mother of five children, and I'm feeling horrible that I have to now take care of myself. I'm the one as a nurse. My job is to take care of everybody else. So I'm worried about, am I going to die? What's going to happen to me? What's going to happen to my children? It's a terrible feeling. Oh, my Terrible gosh. feeling. Oh, my God. It's horrible. So those three weeks are the longest three weeks of all time. And, and then yes. you get you get the news. What makes you choose between, what, what route did you choose? I went with a mastectomy because I know my personality. Well, first of all, that's what they recommended for me based on the location. Mine was deep. So if you have a tumor that is small, that's at the forefront front of your breast, a lot of people can do a lumpectomy. So it's really a choice that you go over with your physician and you figure out what is best for you. What is the best chance of cure? Okay, that's the question. Lumpectomy or mastectomy? Which route do I go? Based on my location, it was mastectomy. That was what the surgeons and everybody concurred that that is what's best for me to decrease my chances of a local recurrence. A local recurrence means the cancer can come back. Now, everybody hears local recurrence, the chance of it coming back. In reality, Nathan, local recurrence means there were cells left behind and they just showed up later on. They became big enough to detect. Oh, okay. So it's not like we took the tumor out, we took the cancer out, you're cancer-free, and then all of a sudden, oh my, it's back. No, it's been there. Local it's like they were, lay- they were lying dormant or something like That's that. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. So, uh, you know, some people can get a secondary cancer in a different location. That's a different story. That's not a local recurrence. That's a second cancer. But I said to myself... This is what they're all recommending that's going to give me the best chance. Let's do it. Let's do it. I had a long talk with myself and my husband. I said, look, I don't breastfeed. You know, I can do without them. I'll be fine. I'll be okay. I want to do whatever it takes to survive. So you had had the one breast removed at that time. That's right. Wow. Wow. I, I could not wrap my head. I did want both. But you know what, Nathan? I couldn't. I was in too much of a panic mode, so I said to myself, I can always take the other breast out. You can't put it back, right? You can't put it back. Absolutely. So I said, let's 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 walk before we run. I chose a mastectomy over a lumpectomy because they said that is the best chance for me to do this. And everyone has something, right? everyone has a different thing, right? Different diagnosis, yes, different, different options, right? Pathology is different, and that's very important too, Nathan. There are so many different types of pathology that you really have to know your oncotype and your whether you're ERP or positive. Now, this is a lot of things we don't have to get into. It's very complicated, but you have to know what type of breast cancer you have, and that will determine the treatment. Hmm. So for me, that's what it was. My decision was to have the mastectomy. How long were you in the hospital for after the surgery? Oh, I'm gonna say three days, I believe. Two, okay, three not, days. not terribly long. Not terribly no, long. No, no, no. But it's not a walk in the park. It's not fun. Oh, I'm sure. Well, yeah. So Surgery's you, not fun. So you have the surgery. This is approximately a month after you've been diagnosed, give That's or take. Right. Okay. That's right. So you have the surgery. It's a successful surgery. You now have have a, a breast removed. I mean, you go home. What what are what are well, the days and weeks like it? At this point. Let me let, let me stop you there, if I may. Mm-hmm. I think this is important for your listeners uh, to know that you know, because I mentioned panic, um, we mentioned emotional emergency, but I want to let them know that they are going to laugh sometimes as well. And laughter, as we all know, is the best medicine. So I'm going to tell you, I'm going to share with your listeners a very funny story. Please. 
Uh, I'm in the hospital, and of course, your mother, who is, you know, we're like sisters. She didn't have a sister. I didn't have a sister. So we've known each other for most of our lives. Uh, I've known your mom since I was 11 years old. Right. And so, of course, she came in immediately. She was my uh, second call <laughs> when I got the <laughs> diagnosis after after. Uh, I'm not surprised to hear that. Right, she's on the next <laughs> plane here, so yeah. she went through all of it with me. But I have to tell you, when I went for the mastectomy, she stayed over in the hospital. Now, I, she had the cot next to me. I had brought down. I'm not going to, you know, sleep on regular hospital sheets and whatever. I knew I was going to be uncomfortable, so I brought your mom and I sheets and down comforters. <laughs> I figured <laughs> it was like a little months. spa getaway for a few days. Right, right? there you, you gotta go. Got to be a little cozy, yeah. so I was very prepared. <laughs> so uh, that night after the surgery was horrendous. I was in a lot of pain, and I'm not uh, the type of person to take pain medications. So, you know, I try to push back. Like, I'm okay, I'm okay. You know, I'm not the type of person that, you know, says, give it to me, give it to me. So, you know, I'm in a lot of pain, and the nurses come in. I don't have to tell you. Anybody who's been in a hospital knows you don't sleep. You don't rest. They come in. They're checking on you. They're taking your vitals. So yep. we don't sleep all night. Your mom and I were awake. We don't sleep. The next day, uh, I think it was the next day, um, or it may have been the day after. I can't remember. It was two or three days. But I was just an emotional wreck. And, you know, my mom was there as well, and my daughters were there, and I was just an emotional wreck. And so was your mom. And <clears throat> Just overwhelmed? Night, was that like the first time that you were like uh, uh, really emotional in that prior month? Was this like the most yes. emotional? Yeah. Yes, and plus, you know, you're drugged and you have surgery and it's just, you don't feel good. You have tubes coming out. It's just so uncomfortable. So that night, it really hit me. I wanted to go home. I, I really had a panic attack. I wanted to go home. I wanted to be with Max. I wanted to be with my son who was home. I felt horrible. So it really doesn't matter how old your kids are. It's, it's, it's much worse, believe me, when they're young. So I don't mean to minimize women who go through breast cancer who have young school-age children. That's got to be horrific because you have to have someone to babysit and take care of them. That has to be probably worse than what I went through. But still, Max is my youngest of five, and I, I wanted to go home. So your mom was there, my daughters, my mother, and they're like, you can't leave. You can't leave. I called up my husband. I said, I want to come home. He's like, you can't sign yourself out AMA, which is against medical authority. You can't. We'll get you home tomorrow. So, right, you following? I wanted to go home so bad yep. that to me, as soon as that sun came up, I said to everybody, you pick me up because I'm getting the hell out of here. Okay? Wow. So your mom asked the nurses if they would leave me alone that night. They said, she is sleep deprived. Leave her alone. I'm right here with her. If you could just leave us alone, if she needs anything, I'll come get you. I promise I will come get you. The nurses said, fine. Okay, we won't wake her up every four hours for her advice. We'll let her sleep. So Nathan, it has to be about... <laughs> 9 30 10 o'clock in the morning something crazy like that the nurses come in and they said uh, are you guys awake yet we go what do you mean she goes it's nine o'clock and your daughter your kids were picking you up they just called the nurses station because they can't reach you and they're afraid something's wrong <laughs> well your mom and i decided we are turning off our phones the night before we don't want to be disturbed i need my sleep she shut my phone off her phone off so the kids were calling Nobody could reach us. Because you finally Nobody slept. You finally us. slept. Yeah. We finally slept. Mm. So the two of us look at each other and went, oh, my God, we just slept like 10 hours. And we said, oh, my God, I can't believe it's 9, 10 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> she told us to leave you alone. You two were asleep. And so your mother and I look at each other. Now, Annie finally calls. You know, we get through on the cell phone, which is my older daughter. And she, and she was the one on your podcast. And she says, Aunt Ida what's going on we've been trying to reach you and your mother goes annie we've been through the mill well i look at your mother and i go well it just goes to show you that she felt like she went through it with me right well that's because and you know how she is you. she puts herself right there like if she, oh, she yeah. puts herself in it yeah oh yeah we've been through and the so, mill that's pretty funny we, we've been through the mill, Nathan. Really? I'm the one that <laughs> had going, my breast taken You're going, up. are you kidding me? <laughs> no, I did. I looked at her and I go, we've been through uh, the mill. Well, she looked at me and she goes, I feel like I have. 
Well, the two of us laughed so hard. <laughs> I'm talking about five minutes of laughter. Yeah. So yeah. it was so funny. Annie even said, of course, she goes, Aunt Ida. Oh, and then, you know, we were getting our discharge papers and everything, and your mom says, I'll call you guys when we are ready to be discharged. <laughs> she forgot that she wasn't part of, wasn't a patient. That's right. That's how. So, that's and, how. And, that's how involved she is in the in yes. those moments. You know, and, and yes. I think it goes to show you that it's it's incredible to have. I mean, it's incredibly important to have a support system around you from multiple yes. from multiple different sources and people, right? And the laughter I'm so aspect. I'm glad you brought that up. I had again, <clears throat> Nathan. I was blessed. I was blessed to have a support system that was. That was absolutely, absolutely beyond amazing. You know, my kids, your mother, your whole family, my brother, my mother. I was very blessed that I had that. Don't forget and, about Uncle Dick. Oh, well. <laughs> that goes without saying. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I got to tell you, he, you know, I, I already mentioned him. He was amazing. Yeah. But, you know, he suffered a lot. I have to tell you, this was very hard on him. I can, I can only imagine. I, I hope I never have to uh, know what that felt like. I must no, be honest. And that's right. And, you know, he knew from it from a professional level. This really caused a lot of stress. I mean, imagine you go do cancer surgery, and then you come home to a wife who has cancer. Jeez. This was not easy for him. This was not, this was 24-7 for him. This was not easy. So what happens now over the coming weeks and months treatment-wise? What What's going on? So, you know, because of the type of cancer I had, um, and the I was premenopausal, and that's very important to know that the treatment is different for a woman after she's gone through menopause versus if she's gone if she hasn't gone through menopause yet. Okay, why is so that? So I was I was forty seven years old. I was premenopause because your hormones are different. Okay. So your treatment is different. So you know, I was still menstruating. Uh, premenopausal, so I was offered a certain type of chemotherapy, which is the regimen that that most women go through that have the type of breast cancer that I have. My breast cancer was estrogen receptor positive. Um, so what they want to do for me is get rid of my estrogen in my body. The breast cancer feeds off of the estrogen. Hmm. That's what I had. So, you know, not to get too medical or technical, that's what I had. I was premenopausal, so they recommended chemotherapy and also radiation therapy because my breast cancer was close to the chest wall, even though they did the mastectomy, you know, there could have been some cells left behind. So they wanted to do the radiation. So, you know what, Nathan, not every woman takes the chemo. Not every woman says yes to a mastectomy. Not every woman wants radiation. Everyone is different. At this course of breast cancer, I can't stress it enough, it is so different for every woman depending on the pathology and everything else that I mentioned. It is not cookie cutter. But that's great. My that, that's, I got to tell you, that's uh, that's something that I did not know. I'm sure a lot of people yes. don't understand that. That's right. You it hear breast cancer, you just cutter. think everyone has the same thing. It's the same thing. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. It's all different and you have to know your pathology. That's okay. very, very important. And that will determine your course and what you want. You know, you also have a say in this. Now, when you so, say radiation um, therapy, and you say, and you say, um, um, what was the other thing you said that you did? Chemo. Oh, chemo chemotherapy. Yeah, that's right. Ch chemotherapy. Yeah. I, I mean, what, what exactly, what exactly is chemotherapy and radiation therapy? Okay, so uh, chemotherapy is a course of medications, drugs that you can take. You can take them orally or get them through an IV. And it's systemic. It goes through your entire body. That's chemotherapy. So if any cells, now I had positive lymph nodes too. So that is something else in addition to your pathology that you have to keep in mind that will determine your course. Because if you don't have any lymph nodes where the cancer was in the lymph nodes, when the breast, you know, mastectomy is taken out, they check your lymph nodes. <clears throat> I had four positive nodes. So that means it left the breast and went into the nodes. So it's possible that some of the cells could have gone through my body. Wow. And it could show up in my bones later, God forbid. So that's when I said, give me everything you've got. Everything in the kitchen sink, yes. I will take it all. So that's chemo. Chemo is systemic. It floats through your whole body, has tremendous side effects. 
Tremendous negative side effects. Oh, horrendous. Yeah. Horrendous. It's tremendously then, invasive, right? I mean, it's it's brutal. It's yeah, a brutal. It's through your bloodstream. It's going through your entire body, and 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 it cannot differentiate between good cells and bad cells. Mm. So chemotherapy can't say, you know, that's a cancer cell. I'm going to go get it. That's a good cell. Leave it alone. It's attacking all the cells. So that's why you know we'll get into that in a second if you want to talk side effects. Yes. But you did ask me about radiation. Radiation therapy is just what it says it's radiation but it's localized so you're not radiating my brain you're not radiating my thigh you're radiating the breast Mm. that was removed you're radiating that area it's a very targeted precise therapy so in case there was a cell left behind i wanted the radiation therapy in case there were cells that got away past the lymph nodes I wanted chemotherapy. But if you, but okay, let me just stop you there. And on the chemo aspect, the chemo is just like the the ultimate extermination, right? Through yes. the entire body. So if you're going chemo, yes. why do you also then need the secondary radiation therapy? Because I wanted everything in the kitchen. You just didn't want it. You just said whatever you have, give it to me, and I'm gonna fight. That's right. And I'm gonna survive. You're right. Okay. Yes. And some women say, you know what? I don't want radiation. I don't, I don't want it. I don't want the side effects, the burn. I don't want the radiation therapy. I'll just do chemo. But I said, when I spoke to my oncologist, what if I do the mastectomy, I decrease my chance of breast cancer by how much? If I do my if he told chemo, you If he told you 1%, you were doing it, <laughs> right? That I mean, was me. You didn't that's care. That's my mentality. Yeah, right. See, that's my mentality. I said, give me everything. I don't want to ever look at my children and say, eh, you know what? I should have done this. I should have done that. I didn't. I want to look at my kids. If God forbid this cancer ever came back, I want to be able to look at my children and say, I did everything. There was nothing else I could have done. Wow, that's really powerful. But that's my personality. Yeah, well, that's really, that's inspirational and powerful. What what are some of the side effects of both of those treatments? And why do, I mean, this is kind of, we'll piggyback off of, but why do some people choose not to do them? And I assume it's because of those indeed those side effects absolutely you know what Nathan some people are more holistic than I am let's say um you know some people think it's poison they don't want it and you know I just felt that I wanted to maximize my survival rate so I wanted to do it and I don't dismiss other women for making a different decision you have to do what works for you sometimes Mm -hmm. it works sometimes it doesn't um, so, you know, you have to do what is best for you. So what did you go through? Side, yeah. Side effects, they're horrendous. You know, um, the type of chemo that I got, it's, you know, called the red devil. Um, and it's called the red devil for a reason. It's adriamycin. Um, and it's red. And, you know, you watch it going through your system and it's tough and it, it doesn't make you feel good. Uh, and I did, uh, adriamycin cytoxin and I did Taxol because that was the drug that was for my type of cancer and my age. Um, it immediately put me into menopause. I mean, I was, as soon as I got the first dose, that was it. I was like a menopausal woman, hot flashes, you know, sweating, um, and, you know, that was the last time I got my period was right before the chemotherapy. So I was just, boom, you're in menopause. So that comes with its own symptoms. I lost my hair. Um, and, you know, your brother Ryan was wonderful over Thanksgiving that year. Uh, you know, the whole family was in and I knew I was going to lose my hair. And I, being the type of control person I am, I said, I don't want to lose my hair. I'm going to take my hair off. Okay. And yeah. I don't know if you remember, but Ryan shaved my head. Mm-hmm. And how many women can say that their nephew, because, you know, Ryan shapes his head. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. how many women can say that their nephew shaved their head? So it was a very bonding experience for Ryan and I. Sure. It was very, very intense. Mm-hmm. Very intense. I do remember that. Um, yeah, remember? So anyway, so you lose your hair. Uh, you lose your eyebrows. You lose hair all over your body. Everywhere. And are you feeling um, like on a day-to-day basis, are you completely fatigued? What's it? What's every day like? Oh, honey, the fatigue is only half of it. Right. You're nauseous. Um, you could be constipated. You could have diarrhea. Um, I lost my taste. There was a time where I, I, I had no taste. Nothing. Wow. I, I couldn't taste pizza. I couldn't taste anything. So you don't even feel like eating. You're not enjoying food. You have nothing. 
there, you could look at a French fry and eat it. It doesn't taste. You probably so, feel like you're dying in a way. You are. And, and, and the way I looked at it was, <clears throat> I am killing the cancer. I am killing the cancer. So mm. if I feel bad, if I feel bad, imagine how the cancer's feeling. Wow. That's, that, that, that was the mentality that I used. If, if I'm feeling this bad, then imagine how my cancer is feeling. And that's what helped get me through the days. But it's horrific. And I will not minimize that at all. Going through chemotherapy is not fun. It's not a walk in the park. How long does this uh, treatment, how long does the chemo last for? Oh, boy. I'm, uh, let me see. About six months. Mm, every single day. Uh, no, you get, you know, my chemo was, and it depends on your doctor, it's given differently, but my chemotherapy was every other week uh, for the adriamycin and cytoxin, and then when I had to do the taxol, it was every week. So when you would... And, you know, you're, you have to be really careful, Nathan, you're, I mean, more important things than the symptoms I was talking about, your white count can go down, you have to be very careful not being in front of, you know, being with people that are sick so that you don't get sick, because you're, you're uh, in a immunocompromised state sure so you have to be really careful so they're always checking your white count they're giving you shots to boost up your immune system um uh you know so you go in for shots afterwards and um there's all different kinds of things that they do to try to minimize the side effects but some of it you're just going to get are there times throughout those six months where you're just so worn thin you feel like a zombie and you're looking at uncle dick or you're looking at your loved ones and going like, what the hell am I doing? Uh, not where there are times, almost all the time. Because you are so tired. You know, as soon as I got my chemo, for me, I would get in on a Thursday. And then I was home, basically, in bed on the couch, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And then Monday, I'd go to work. I'd get up, and I'd pick myself up, and I would do the best I can. I said, I've got to go to work. And I saw my patients. They were like, oh, my God, what just happened? I was honest with them. You know, I'm the type of person, Nathan, that I'm an open book. I feel that if I can share my story, hence your podcast, if I can share my story and think that I am helping a woman out there, I'm going to let it all out. I love that. That's beautiful. I'm going to let it all out because I was craving that when I was going through my journey. I was craving other women to tell me about their journey and how they did it. So when... You know, a lot of women are private, and I respect that. But if you're private about this and you don't share your journey, how are you helping other women? So I vowed when I got the cancer that I've got to help other women. And, you know, I was also on the board of breastcancer.org for many years Mm -hmm. after this had happened. Mm -hmm. And I want to tell your listeners that breastcancer.org is the number one Research, uh, uh, um, online resource for breast cancer in the world. Breastcancer.org. So that's right. Mm-hmm. And I was on the board for many years. I had just come off the board last year. So, you know, and, and I think this is important, Nathan, because at 2 o'clock in the morning, when you're not sleeping, you feel ugly, you don't feel good, the whole house is sleeping, you need someone to talk to. You need to go somewhere for information. You have a question about your side effect. So there's forms on the website. There's, you know, there's everything on the website. It helped me. At 2 o'clock in the morning, I was going on my own, you know, the website, and I'm like, oh, you know, or I was afraid to look up a side effect because I was afraid I'd get it. So I would say to my kids, go to Mm breastcancer.org, and you look it up, (laughs) and let me know if I should be worried. Right. So it's a really good online resource for women that are going through this. Okay, thank you for that, yeah. Sure, yeah. Uh, where were we? So you you were every day was like, what are we doing? And you're going through the ups and downs, the, really mostly the downs of, of this yes. brutal six month yes. process. Yes, yes. But you you're every day you're still just you're saying I'm fighting towards it, and you know that there is a kind of a light little light at the end of the tunnel, right? You know when your last yes. day of treatment is coming. That's right. I did, and I'll tell you what I did, which was very helpful. I put a calendar on my refrigerator and I listed every chemo, every radiation, you know, everything. And every time I went through a treatment, I'd highlight it. Wow. I was like, yes, week one, done. Nice. Week two, go. And I was able to see the trajectory saying, you know what, I'm halfway through. So that helped me. Another, so I, Nathan, when I got my diagnosis, 
I went into warrior mode. And if there's something I can also teach your listeners is that be a fighter. You know, say, you know what? This cancer is not going to get me. I'm not going to allow it. You have to think positive because breast cancer is curable. One in eight women are getting breast cancer now, but it is very, very curable. With all the research and everything that's being done, we can cure this. So I want your listeners to know it's not a death sentence. Breast cancer is not a death sentence. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. go into fight mode. Find your posse like I did. And I don't care if it's your best friend, a sister. I don't care who, a cousin. Doesn't matter. Find your posse. And that's what I did. And fight it. Go into fight mode. And if that means going to work, if that means not going to work, whatever you need to do to fight this, that's what you need to do. Are you exercising in this time? Are you able to? Oh, well, that was one thing I said to my daughter. Now, fortunate for me, Laura graduated college early. She went to Ohio State. So she came home when I started chemo, and she was off for those six months before she started law school. So I was very blessed that the timing couldn't have been better. Mm -hmm. So I said to Laura, and you know, I've worked out my whole life. So I said to Laura, it doesn't matter is the motto. If I'm not feeling good, it doesn't matter. If I feel lazy that day, it doesn't matter. I will be better if I exercise. So she would come into my room in the morning and she would say, Mom, what are we doing today? I say, Laura, I don't know. I, just, I don't feel good. I just want to stay home, watch TV. I'm not feeling right. I'm feeling funky. She said, Mom, it doesn't matter. <laughs> and I would just start laughing. I'm like, <laughs> are you serious? She goes, no. I understand you don't want to do much, but we're going for a 20-minute walk today. Or she took me to the pool at one of the colleges and I swam. So five days a week, I was doing something. I was doing something and she made me. And thank God for that. Thank God for that. So you're going through this. What is is the last day of chemo and radiation like for you? Oh, celebratory. Wonderful. Fantastic. Such a high. It's, it's, you, you know, you got through it. You got through the worst of it. You got through it. And that was just, it's an emotional high. It's an emotional high. Really? Do you start you feeling like yourself again soon thereafter? What's going on? No, no, absolutely not. Because I'll tell you, Nathan, I was bald. Right. And worse than being bald for me was that I lost my eyebrows and my eyelashes. You know, you have no hair. You have no hair all over your body. <laughs> so you, losing your hair, women can wear a wig. I bought beautiful wigs. I ended up not wearing them. I, I just, I was not a wig wearer. Okay, mm-hmm. some women love it. It was not for me. I walked around bald a lot and put a little hat over my head. Well, you have such a beautiful face, Aunt Nancy. You look, oh, you're you look a doll, good. Honey. You look good with with or without. So, uh-huh. <laughs> thank you. Only you would say that. <laughs> but so no, I didn't feel myself. I really felt kind of gross, to be honest with you. I I would look in the mirror and I couldn't. You know, I there was nowhere to put makeup on. If you don't have eyebrows to fill in or you don't have eyelashes to put mascara, there was nothing there. So you really feel gross. I, I did anyway. And I said to myself, you know what? It's okay. It's going to grow back. It's going to come back. This is not permanent. So, you know, Nathan, I, I just want everyone to know, try to look at the glass half full. Mm-hmm. You know, try not to let it get the best of you. Just this is your journey. This is what you have to fight. And I know that everybody has something. And this is what I tell my patients when they say, I'm not doing it. Everybody has something, Nathan. Yeah. You know, whether it's cancer, a death in the family, a divorce, something. Every nobody goes through this life unscathed. Nobody. Yep. Okay. And so this is what I had to deal with, and I'm going to fight it. So now, actually, I can look at my patients, and when they say, "Well, you don't know what it's like," I say, "Oh, yes, I do." Let's sit down and talk. <laughs> yeah, you do. <laughs> so you. So, so I, yeah. I really kind of feel that God said, "You know what? You're a good nurse. You know, you're a great nurse." But you know what? This is going to make you a better nurse. Well, because now you've walked the walk. That's there's 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 definitely something to that. I'm a big believer in that kind of stuff because now you're able to help spread this knowledge and awareness to others and, at yeah. a different level that you could never have done before. So right. who knows? Who knows? Right. Um, so those, but, but so I mean, that's it. Like you still have to go back for recurring checkups or medication. What for the next yeah. six months? Yeah. So you know, and I do want to add one more thing so that people get the whole picture. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was about a few months after my first surgery 
uh, I felt a lump in the other breast. And it was a cyst. I've had cysts before. It was nothing. But I looked at Uncle Dick. I looked at my husband. I said, you know what? I'm going to feel this breast every month because I'm so afraid of it coming in the other breast. I'm going to be paranoid. This is, And again, I stress, this is just me. If you're not like this, that's fine, but this is just me. And I see it every day. You know, I don't work at Disney World. I work in a cancer practice, so I see cancer every day. So I'm constantly reminded of what could be. Yes. So I said, you know what? I'm doing a prophylactic mastectomy. Take the other breast. I don't want it. I don't want to deal with it. But that's because I deal with it every day in my practice. I'm constantly reminded of what could be. So you had the other mastectomy on the other breast that was never even diagnosed with cancer, just out of precaution. Correct. Wow. Wow, that's amazing. I just, and again, that's my personality. Uh, There was really, you know, a lot of doctors, it was prophylactic. It was just something that I needed to do. And again, I'm reminded of it every day, Nathan, this is my practice. Mm -hmm. But for the average woman out there that doesn't have to deal with it every day, may be fine keeping the other breast and saying, I'm okay. Sure. Again, it's not cookie cutter. Yeah, everyone has to treat it, like you said earlier, everyone has to do what's right for them. Everybody has has their own template. That's right. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. So then the journey was over, and then you know I had to get reconstruction. Um, You know I had to get new implants put in. Some people choose not to have any implants. I chose to have implants put in. So you chose to have implants put in, and then uh, when does life start becoming, uh, I guess, normal, quote unquote, again? You know, Nathan, it's never really normal anymore, I have to tell you, because Mm. then it's five years of medication that a lot of women with my breast cancer go on. A lot of women, you know, tamoxifen, people have heard of tamoxifen. If anybody's listening to your podcast that, you know, uh, have had someone who's had breast cancer, they've heard of tamoxifen. Mm -hmm. It's an oldie but goodie. And I went on that for five years. And, you know, there's some side effects, bone stiffness, you know, you don't necessarily feel 100% on that either, but I wasn't coming off of it. If it was going to keep the cancer away, I stayed on it for five years. Then when they knew for sure that I was postmenopausal 100%, then I went on an aromatase inhibitor, which is the medication that you take for women that are definitely postmenopausal. And I'm on it now. Right. I'm on it now. I've reached 10 years. And uh, thank God, wow, and they're going to keep me on it for another five years. And you just I, hit I your ten year anniversary. Yeah, you just yes, did in September. Wow. Yes, it is. I oh, just man. hit ten years. That ten years, incredible. and it's taught me a lot. It changed me. You know, you're you're not the same at the end of this. You are definitely not the same at the end of this. It's a sorority that you don't want to be a part of. But there's so many of us. And, uh, you know, it could be the waitress. It could be anybody. But, you know, there's... And you know what, Nathan? I I also have to say another thing. I I don't know how much time we have. But sexually, it rocks your world. Mm -hmm. And that is something that I also want your readers to know. You know, breasts are sensual. Women, you know, it's sexy. Um, Breasts have become a big part of who we are. Let's face it. It has. And so women, you know, when you say, you know, getting back to normal, every day you look in the mirror and you look different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and it changes, like, yeah, it changes the intimacy aspect of uh, a relationship. That's right. Uh-huh. Especially if, you know, breasts are a big part of your sexuality. You know, some men aren't, some, some men are not breast people. Some women could care less. It's like, nah, I don't have much feeling in them. It doesn't matter to me. If your breasts are part of your sexuality with your partner, it can rock your world. It can be a real problem. So Mm -hmm. what you have to do is find other ways. (laughs) (laughs) You have to find other ways. You have to experiment. Well, hey, listen, there's always a silver lining, see? You get to do new new different things that maybe you never would have done before. So listen, there's always there's always a silver lining. But uh, that's a good point. That's a tremendous point that nobody really talks about. Yeah. No, they don't. They don't talk about it. And um, I think it's. But it's real. But it's real. It's real. It it is real. It's raw. And life is truly indeed different. It's never the same again in so many different aspects, and that's just one of them. The sexual aspect. In addition to probably just so many other little things, right? And just the way you think and feel and operate every day, it's just different now. That's right. Yeah. 
that, that's, so that's what incredible. It does I cannot believe it's been 10. So you were in your late 40s when this yeah. happened, right? Yeah. And here you are 10 years later, your 10th of your anniversary mm -hmm. since the, the surgery. It's already been, now it's been over 10 years. It was in late yeah. October Thank God. of uh, 2009. And here you are, <laughs> November of 2019. And, you, and, and, yeah. and looking at you and hearing you and talking to you, and people, you would never, ever, ever know that you went through any of this. Which well, thank is you. amazing. Thank you. Uh, it's I, I an incredible, it. incredible story, and you are really, Aunt Nance, the definition of a, a fighter and a warrior, and super inspirational. And I, I, I mean, I think we could talk for hours about this, and maybe we, we probably could. maybe we will we do another follow-up sometime and get into more of the medical stuff, like the yeah, different, that'd be great. the details. And you know, but, Nathan, I'm sure, I'm sure there's things I forgot. You know, oh, I'm, yeah, sure sure. Hang, I'm gonna hang up the phone with you and say, oh, I <laughs> exactly. said that. Why did we touch on this? Yeah, yeah. But we definitely can do that another time. And, uh, you know, maybe we could do a podcast with my husband, you know, Absolutely. Dr. Schmidt. He's, his, he's itching to get on here anyways, so we yeah, might as I know. well. <laughs> and, you know, we could talk about the women who have stage four. Oh, uh, okay. Okay? The mm. women whose cancer, whose breast cancer has spread. Mm. And that's a whole other topic oh, of yeah. conversation, but we that should. could be a later date. We should. But I enjoyed this immensely, Nathan, and I, if I helped one person on your podcast... I'm overjoyed. Uh, I am too, and I have no doubt that you did. I mean, it's incredible. Thank you for, for being so raw and so open with it. And uh, I guess my last question for you is just any advice to give any women that, that may be going through it or or is at the beginning stage? I, I don't know. Just do you have a message for anyone that's going through it? Yeah, I do. I do. And the message is stay strong. The message is stay strong. You're going to be okay. Do whatever you feel, your family feels, and your doctor feels. Listen to your physicians. They, you know, God willing, will know what they're doing. And don't give up. Don't right. give up. And it, you know, it's a journey, and you're going to get through it. And you if you're feeling lumps, else. if you're feeling lumps or anything that feels suspicious, go get it checked. Right. I yes. mean, that's most important. Yes. Don't ignore it. You're, that's right. And there should be no lump getting rent free in your breast. Exactly. Okay, and if a doctor says to a woman, oh, it's probably nothing, it's a cyst, we'll watch it. Find another doctor. There you Demand go. Demand an MRI. Demand an MRI. And if that doctor won't order it, you go to a different doctor. Because the MRI won't lie, correct? That's, that's right. Okay. I don't know where you heard that. You cannot hide from an MRI. I like that, yeah. I kind of just yep. came up with that. The MRI won't lie. We should. Use I that. love that. Yeah. Yeah. Good for you. Um, I love that. Thank you so much uh, oh. for this, Aunt Nance. Uh, we'll be seeing you soon for the holidays. Yes. And uh, really appreciate you coming on and share, shedding some light into this uh, very sensitive uh, sensitive issue. So thank you. Thank you, sweetheart. And I, I really appreciate from the bottom of my heart you letting me talk to the women out there. Absolutely. Thank I'll you. talk to you soon. You bet, babe. Bye.